0: Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, and the word of the Sovereign Lord reads, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we, are, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. The noted author C.S. Lewis once wrote, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. So this morning, as you can see, we're taking a temporary break from our series in Mark uh, to begin a short series titled The Hope of Christmas And the reason for that is simple. Um, Number one, it's December, and this is the time of the year that we celebrate Christmas. And Christmas, as you well know, is a celebration of the fact that God himself came into the world to be with us. That that Christmas is about the incarnation of Christ. It's not just about a baby being born. It's about the fact that God himself came to earth and became one of us. Which then leads, number two, the incarnation. And the reason why we celebrate it is is the truth that, that that is our hope. the fact that God himself came into the world on a rescue mission to save us, that is our hope. That's why this series is called The Hope of Christmas, because this is the time of year that we're reminded of that hope in Christ. I mean, we talk about the hope of Christ all the time, but now we join the rest of the world who is now looking to this time of year. And then number three, if there's anything that we need right now, If there is anything that this world, in this moment, needs right now, it is the hope that is found only in Jesus Christ. We don't have to look very far to see this. Just look around and we will see that many of our friends and neighbors and people around us are are steeped in debilitating fear this very moment. People are terrified right now. People are so afraid to even leave the house. People are afraid of other people. People are afraid of their neighbors. They're they're afraid of their friends. They're even afraid of their family members to the point that people are dying alone. People are afraid. They're terrified. And guess what? Our government and our media is doing nothing but stoking that fear. They're not alleviating the fear. They're making the fear worse for people. People are afraid to go to the store. People are afraid to come to worship as the Lord has commanded us. As one person this morning I saw on social media said, people are so afraid of dying that they're willing to stop living. Fear is consuming the lives of so many people. And the effects are devastating. Depression, anxiety, loneliness. And it's to the point for some people that they would rather take their own lives than live that way anymore. Fear is overwhelming in our community, in our state, in our country as a whole. Fear is driving many of the actions of people around us. Fear is driving how people treat each other nowadays. Fear that we're experiencing is a clear indication that we are in need of real hope. But fear is not the only thing. There's the hatred and the incivility that we are seeing. I mean, I I grew up knowing that people hated each other, but I had never seen the likes of incivility and hatred that people have openly for one another. I've never seen the likes of the way people treat each other today. How young people have no regard at all for, for people that are older than them. That there's no respect anymore. People are hating each other because of the person that they voted for. That's just the strangest thing in the world to me. People hate each other because they have a different opinion about things. People hate each other because of the color of their skin and that goes for all people of all colors of skin. People are hating each other and they're rude and uncivil to each other over opinions of the effectiveness or the ineffectiveness of of a mask. People are downright rude and hateful towards one another over that issue. But then there's the violence. I mean, again, we've grown up in a violent world and we're, we, we understand that that's part of it. But it seems to me that there's an escalation in all of that in our country. Violence against common citizens by anarchists and rioters that is being condoned by politicians. Violence against police officers, the likes of which we've never seen. Violence on the freeway. Violence on the football field. In fact, I just watched a video of a high school player in a, in a playoff game that he was ejected from the field because of a, a uh, personal foul a penalty against him and he rushed the field and tackled referee full on. I mean, he's much bigger than referee. It's, it's full on assaults. I'm just gonna tell you, like if that was my kid, my kid probably wouldn't walk for like six or seven months. You know what I mean? I mean, like, I just don't understand how it's gotten this way, but I found out this is actually more common than we think. It's on the rise. The disrespect and the violence towards other people who just disagree with you, the, dis- the violence towards people in authority. We even see the violence increase between people that are neighbors. And then there's the issues that face the church false teachers abound. You don't have to look very far on the internet to find them. Celebrity pastors fall from grace because they jump headlong into sin, ruining their reputation and impugning the, the 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 image of Christ. Churches across the nation are embracing toxic philosophies like critical race theory that have become that, that that say that the gospel is not enough to heal the racial tension in our country. And then we have the pulpit that's become politicized. Is there any wonder why so many people around us feel so hopeless. Now, more than ever, do we need hope. But the problem is so many people are looking for hope in the wrong places, and many people are looking for the wrong kinds of hope. You see, our hope is not in our government, it's not. Our hope is not in who wins elections. And the reason why I say that is because governments, all of them, rise and fall. Governments always change and governments ultimately succumb to corruption. Why? Because governments are made up of fallen, broken creatures living in a fallen, broken world. It is their nature. The gravitational pull of every government in history has always been towards centralization and consolidation of power. It's an immutable fact of history. It has always happened, it will always happen. Governments tend to grow in power, and those those that they govern tend to become less and less free. It's the natural life cycle of all civil governments. Not to mention that that governments can't change people's hearts anyway. Governments cannot make people moral. There's a sense in our culture that our government has the power to make things better, either through education or legislation that we can either teach them better or we can or we can coerce them to to be better but as we've seen throughout history governments are powerless to change people's hearts it may curb their behaviors momentarily through coercions or incentives right but the government cannot solve the problem of our heart. the government is not our hope and neither is medicine there's a lot of talk about what medicine is going to do for us? We live in an age of the greatest medical adva- advances, but in the end, everyone still dies. You realize that, everyone, right? My mom was a cancer survivor. She survived uterine cancer, and then she died several years later of brain cancer, right? As it's been said, that life is a terminal disease, and we're not any of us getting out of here alive, right? And yes, it's true. Modern medicine does give us longer lives. Praise the Lord for that. And yes, that it can give us a better quality of life as we live here. Praise the Lord for that. But in the end, that's still not our hope because at some point the medications will fail us because we will all die of something. There'll be something in our lives, something that they haven't thought of that cannot be cured yet. Not to mention, then, what's making that worse is the politicization of the medical industry by our government and the influence of the uh, insurance industry. People are finding finding greater and greater restrictions in their ability to get treated. I know someone very close to me who had a loved one diagnosed with cancer, but it took them several months for them to get an appointment to see a specialist. By that time, it was too late. The months that they waited to get treatment or even be seen were enough to prove to be fatal. They essentially died of not being able to see a doctor. And we're finding that's going to be more and more common in the United States of America. Not to mention, we're beginning to see the government using our medical industry in a way to control people. It's a natural incentive for them to do so. And brothers and sisters, we're just beginning to see that. That's why we're seeing them so involved in the medical industry in the first place. And so our hope is not in medicine. Our hope is not in the cure for COVID-19. It's not in our hope is not in a vaccine. Right? Our hope is not that somehow mysteriously that the COVID the coronavirus will will go away, because in the end there will be more and other infectious diseases. Not to mention, we're all gonna die of something, somehow, some way. Whether it's a car accident, which claims a lot more lives, a slip and fall in the bathroom, which surprisingly kills a lot of people violence at the hands of other people or or the effects of one of the many poisons that we're exposed to on a daily basis, not to mention the poisons that people purposely put in their own body, like illicit drugs, which by the way, one state's legalized. So you can't leave the house without a mask, but you can put a needle in your arm or snort some cocaine. Our hope is not in medicine. Our hope is not in the politicians we vote for. Our hope isn't even that the United States endures for another hundred years. Do I want that to happen? Yes. Do I love our country? Without a question. But our hope isn't in the endurance of our country. Our hope is not somehow, some way, we're going to figure out a way to live a pain-free, problem-free life here and now. Our hope is not that we're going to have enough money to retire on. Our hope is not that we're going to, to all get along here in this earth. Our hope is actually greater than all of those things our hope is bigger than all of those things in fact all of those things that we that people tend to put their hope in are actually shadows and types of what our true hope is you see they point forward to the hope that we are looking forward to the peace that we long for points to that hope the security and the acceptance that we long for all of that points to our hope The hope that we long for, the sanity that we all long for, the love that we long for. All of those things internally that we yearn for points forward to that hope. So what is that hope? Well, immediately we would say, well, Christ is our hope. And that is true. He is our hope. But why is he our hope? Why is Christ our hope? Well, again, we would reply, well, because he died for our sins. And that is true, right? That is true. But why is that our hope? Why is Christ and what he's done for us our hope? Why is the fact that Christ came into the world and lived a perfect life that we cannot live, dying in our place to pay for sins that we can't pay for, why is that our hope? Well, while you're thinking about that and why that is our hope, I want you to understand that our entire world stops this time of year, to celebrate that hope. I want you to think about this. The entire world, whether you realize it or not, whether it wants to or not, the entire world is impacted and affected by the celebration of the hope of Christmas. In fact, the entire economies are are depending upon that hope. Entire industries are built on it. The entire world is impacted by the celebration of this hope. Just look around. Everyone's getting ready for the Christmas season or they want to call it Christmas or the holidays or whatever. Everyone's getting ready for the same thing. That's why people who don't even believe in Christ still look to the season this season as the season of what? of hope. That's why our, our non-believing family members still want to get together. They still want to enjoy the peace of the season. That's why they still want to exchange gifts. That's why they still want to be close. They are impacted by the hope of Christmas. So why is is the hope of Christ and what he's done for us so important that the world then celebrates with us one way or the other? Why is the hope, why is this hope impacting the entire world? It's because our hope is such a radical hope. There's something so important wrapped up in this hope. There's something that this hope of Christ promises, something that we all in our hearts, to the hardest, to the deepest part of our hearts, deeply long for. In fact, there's something in this hope that we need. There's something that we deeply hunger for. Even for those that are not in Christ, they deeply long for it. So what is it? Well, turn with me to Romans chapter 5, and we'll see. In verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The answer is in here. I just have to help you unpack it. The first thing we need to realize is this section begins with the word therefore. Anytime you see that word, you need to realize that you cannot look at this text by itself. It's got a context. Right? The word therefore means that what Paul is about to tell you and share with you is connected to and directly related to what he just shared with you in the letter. And what Paul shared with was the truth that we are justified by God, not by what we do and not by being religious or about keeping the law or being good people. We are justified by faith alone. That is what he's connecting this to. We are justified by faith alone. In fact, Paul opens up his letter, the entire letter, in Romans chapter 1 and says, "'For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, "'for it is the power of God for salvation "'to everyone who believes, "'to the Jew first and also the Greek, "'for in it the righteousness of God "'is revealed from faith.'" For faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by what? Faith. Paul's purpose statement of the book in Romans is the gospel. He declares that we're not saved by our works or anything else we can do, but by faith. And then Paul spends the next four chapters unpacking that and explaining what that means. He first gives us the bad news of the gospel, which he says the fact that everyone is under the condemnation of sin. Everyone, everyone, everyone. Everyone. And our obedience to the law can't fix that or straighten that out. Not to mention, Paul makes it clear that no one on their own seeks for him. But then once he establishes that all mankind is under the weight of God's wrath, he then gives us the good news that God has done for us all that he needs to do to save us from that wrath and justify us through Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 3, he tells us, Beginning in verse 21, he says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his own blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins, and it was to show his righteousness at the present time so he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, Paul is telling us very clearly that God did it all for us. He put forward his son as a ransom for our sin, paying the debt that we owe, and then... As a gift by the grace of God, he justifies us because of what Christ alone has done. And and we receive that and the benefits of that, not because we obeyed some law and not because we were good people and not because somehow we earned God's favor. We receive that simply by faith in Christ. And Paul says, by doing so, God is both just, ensuring that his justice is done, that he's not a liar, that sin is punished in Christ Jesus, but he's also the justifier, making us just, the ones of us who have faith in Christ. You see, God himself justified us. He's the one who did it all. We simply receive the promise of that by faith. And Paul explains that in chapter 4, just before the text that we read. He says in chapter 4, verse 22, that is why his, Abraham's, Faith was counted to him as righteousness, but the words it is counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Paul says that if we believe in God and believe that he delivered Christ up for our death, for the tr- our trespasses we committed against him, and we believe that he, that he raised him from the dead, if we truly believe that, our faith, like Abraham's, is then counted to us as righteousness. What a radical statement that is. And on that basis, then, we are justified. We're justified not because of what we do, but because of the faith that we have in what Christ has done. That is the context of Paul's therefore here. That's the background. And he says therefore in light of all of that since we have been justified by faith we have we have something we didn't have before. We have now peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This right here is a place to stop and think. This is a place to stop in glory in God's goodness. Because this points us to the truth that's missing in the world around us. You see, what's missing in the world around us is not peace. I know that seems like a strange thing to say. What's missing in the world around us is not peace. What's missing in the world around us is peace with God. That's what's missing. Brothers and sisters, The world is the way it is. The way you see things today, the world is the way it is because the world is not at peace with God. The world is the way it is because it is not at peace with God. In fact, it's the exact opposite. The world itself is at war with God. The world is in rebellion to God. All of mankind is in open defiance against God. In fact, Paul even tells us that in Romans chapter 2. He says, I mean, Romans chapter 1, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. The world has knowingly rejected God. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness and they worship everything else but Him. And as a result, the world is at war with God. That's why you see so much hatred towards Christians. The world is not at peace with God. And the truth is, there was a point before Christ, we were just like them. Paul tells us, you notice in verse 10, he says, we were enemies of God. We were His enemies. Enemies. We were we were had we had enemies between us. Before you you were in Christ, you were at odds with God. And those who are not in Christ remain that way still to this very day. This is why they struggle to accept him. This is why they don't want him, him to rule over them, because they're at odds with him. They're, they're enemies of him. And that's what is wrong with the world today. And, and the fruit of But that is what we see. The fear, the hatred, the violence, the disunity, the world is the way it is, is because it is not at peace with God. And as long as the world is not at peace with God, we will never find our hope in this world. There's something to remember from this message. It's that right there. As long as the world is not at peace with God, we will never, ever, ever find our hope in this world. But notice though, though we were enemies at one time, now God has justified us by faith in Christ and we now have peace with him. We, those of us who are in Christ, are at peace with God. And again, this bears reflection because Paul, he's not speaking of an emotion here. He's not talking about a peace that's a subjective feeling or an emotion. right? He's speaking objectively of reality. He's talking about the fact that one time we were estranged from God and and we were once at war with Him. We were under His condemnation and His judgment and wrath and we were once on His list of people who would experience an eternity of God's hatred for sin and we were bound for an eternity of torment as God pours out His wrath on us forever and ever and ever. But now, now, in a very real sense, every bit of that has changed. Where once we were at odds with God, we are now in harmony with Him. That's what that word literally means. We are in harmony with God. This bears the idea of the Hebrew word shalom. It's more than just simply a well-being. Why don't you just let that sink in for a moment, though. In Christ, if you have put your faith and your trust in Him, you are right now, even though sometimes it doesn't feel like it, you are right now at peace in harmony with God. Your peace that you have is real, objective peace. And you have that peace with the greatest being that has ever existed in all eternity. We don't think long and hard enough just how big and amazing and and unthinkable and unimaginable God is. The God who stands outside of all of the cosmos, who holds it all in the palm of his hand. The God who ordains your very next breath. The God whose will that cannot be thwarted by anything or anyone, the sovereign king of all things, is now, in this moment, if you're in Christ, at peace with the likes of you. Do you understand the miracle of that? Do you understand how big that is? And what's even more is nothing that happens in this world, nothing that happens to you, nothing that people can do to you can ever change that. That is a real hope. Because let me just tell you, it doesn't matter if you had the most amazing life that a person could possibly live. We see lots of those on social media, or we like to think that they're real people, right? They have all the money and the fame and the fortune and all the success and the friends and the love. But it won't matter if that's your life and you experience nothing but unbridled happiness every waking moment of your life. If you come to the end of it all, because you will, if you come to the end of it all you and you find that you are not at peace with God, then your entire existence and everything about you has been for nothing. And the hope that you might have had at some point will vanish like a vapor in the wind. Paul reminds us That what awaits those who are enemies with God, who are not in Christ, is his wrath. Paul says the wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That's the exact opposite of our, our hope. And so Paul says, since we have been justified, we have peace with God through Christ. Peace with God is one of, the most, one of the hope-inspiring benefits we have of the gospel. But then he says, through him we also have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. Now, there are sometimes you read a passage in the Bible and you kind of go, I kind of think I know where that's going, but I'm not really exactly sure how to word that. It's one of those, right? Because the Greek construction here is kind of strange. And in in fact, different scholars render it differently. In fact, let me just share with you a couple different translations. So the ESV says, right, that, uh, that through him we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. The New American Standard Bible says we have obtained our introduction, not access, but our introduction by faith into the grace in which we stand. The New Living Testament says because of our faith, Christ has brought us into a place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And then the common English version says Christ has also introduced us to God's gift of undeserved grace on which we now stand. When you look at the the language, what you kind of understand what Paul's driving at here is, is that through Christ, we have access to something that we didn't have access to before. And I think that's the thing that we need to realize. We have access to something that we didn't have access to before. And guess what that is? We have access to the grace of God. This is the truth I think that all of us as Christians need to hold on to. Without Christ, you understand, without Christ, we do not have access to the grace of God. This is the sobering truth that we need to proclaim to the world. Without Christ, we do not have access to God's grace. Right? And we realize Right? that there are two sides of god's grace we have common grace you know the grace that god gives to all men the gift of life the gift of love of neighbors and friends the gift of you know the taste of food in our mouths i'm telling you that's one of god's greatest gifts if you don't believe me then you haven't tried a, a good ribeye right? So, right you have the gift of the warmth of sun Yes, so many gifts. God has graciously given all of mankind gifts, undeserved good gifts. The fact that God has not wiped out humanity right now is common grace. But then there is the special grace that we hold on to, that we yearn in need. The grace that saves us. This is the grace by which he sent his Christ Son into the world. This is the grace by which God sends his Holy Spirit to us to change our hearts. This is the grace by which God grants us repentance and faith. This is the grace where God sanctifies us. right? This is the grace where God sustains us through the trials of life and causes us to persevere in our faith. And this grace is only available through Christ Jesus. You can't get that grace any other way through any other person. Without him, there is no access to this grace. Without Christ, no one has access to grace. This is the exclusive nature of our Christian faith. That's why Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me because nobody has access to that grace without him. No matter what the culture has to say, no matter how people want to believe, no matter what people think is fair. Without Christ, there is no access to God's grace. But through Christ, Paul says, we were given access to this grace, which is the second benefit of the gospel. But Paul also mentions that on that grace we stand. John MacArthur notes it this way, he says, this refers to the permanent, secure position every believer enjoys in God's grace. You see, what Paul is saying is that through Christ we have access to the very grace of God, and that grace is the permanent foundation of our hope. We stand and we live and we build our lives on that grace because God's grace is immovable, unchangeable, inexhaustible, indestructible, and completely sufficient for all of us. We stand on his grace because there's no more secure place for us to stand. Than his grace. God's grace, his unmerited love and favor, his forgiveness, his goodness toward us is all that we need. That's why he told Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. We don't need security here and now, though we'd like to have it. We're not stupid. That's not our need. We don't need perfect health here and now, though I'd like to have that. We don't need acceptance here and now. We don't need peace with everyone else around us here and now. We don't need for our opinions to matter here and now, though we all would like to think that they do matter. We don't need for the politician that we vote for to win the election. We don't need what the world needs. What we need really and what the world actually needs desperately is the grace of God. And if you were in Christ, brothers and sisters, rest assured, you have access to it in unlimited supply. If you're in Christ, you have access to more grace than you will ever need. Oceans, inexhaustible oceans of grace. If you're in Christ, you now stand on that grace. And so Paul says... Through Christ, we have peace with God. We have access to His grace. And then Paul says, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This is the place where we need to camp out now. Because this is the answer to the question that we asked. Why is Christ our hope? This right here is the answer. You see, the answer to our hope is rooted in what God has purposed for his creation, and his purpose for creation, and his purpose for the covenant of redemption, and his purpose for creating you, and his purpose for justifying you, and his purpose for everything that he has done, and everything that he has ordained is all for one thing, and that is for his glory. All of creation exists for this one purpose, his glory. All things that have been made were made for his glory. And if we don't understand this, we're going to have trouble really fully grasping the hope that we have in Christ. You see, Christ is not your hope that you will somehow be a better version of you. Though I think that he does make us better. I believe it that he makes us better. But that's not our hope. Your hope is not that you can live a life where nothing bad ever happens. It's never been a promise, by the way. It's the exact opposite. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Christ is not your hope because, so that you can live your best life now. That's just a book that you shouldn't read. Christ is not your hope so that you can live comfortable knowing that you have fire insurance so you don't have to worry when you die. Right? There's more to Christian life than that. Christ is your hope because, because saving you, I want you to hear me, Christ is your hope because saving you gives God exactly what he's looking for glory. Christ is your hope because saving you brings God glory. The glory of God is the purpose of everything, including your salvation. And the reason why the world puts its hope in everything else is because God, everything else but God, is because its view of God and his view of God's glory are simply way too small. The world wants hope in its own glory. The world wants to be glorified itself and believes that's their source of hope. But the purpose of all creation, even your salvation, is the glory of God. But there's even more to it than that. Because notice it says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We, as God's creatures, rejoice and we do so in hope of the glory of God you see somehow our ultimate hope is connected to the glory of God you realize that our ultimate hope is connected to the glory of God now now the word rejoice in Greek means to rejoice but it can be translated as to exalt or even to boast right, the idea is that we boast in the hope of the glory of God we're boasting about God's glory In fact, the idea comes from the word of holding your head up high, like this. We hold our head up high in the hope of the glory of God. It is is a God-given confidence that we have in hope. And the word hope can also mean confidence or expectation. So you put all this together, we have this confidence in the expectation of the glory of God. Or we boast in the expectation of God being glorified. So why is that, though? Why do we rejoice or boast in the glory of God? The fact is, God is going to be glorified whether we like it or not. God is going to be glorified whether he has a creation or he doesn't have creation. So why do we rejoice at his glory and why do we rejoice in that hope? Well, it's because that's the way God has chosen by his own righteous decree to glorify himself. The way that God has chosen to glorify himself is to bring his people, by his grace, into a right relationship with himself and to share with those people his glory. That's the truth. In fact, I think the New Living Translation, which I don't quote often, I think the translators here really get at the heart of the matter when they they render it this way. It says, Because our faith... Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. You see, God, it's God's plan to save for himself a people that he can share his glory with. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, because I want you to see how this works out. And we're going to look at verse 28. And this is a verse that we're all familiar with. Or if you've been listening to me for any length of time, you know that we're familiar with this verse. This is a verse that's been a source of great hope and confidence and great comfort for many of us. Because God tells us that no matter what happens in life, he's going to work all things out for our good. In fact, it says, in beginning in verse 28, And we know, And for those who love God, all things work together for good. And for those who are called according to his purpose. You've heard me quote that multiple times. And anytime you come to me and life is hard and troublesome, I'm going to remind you of this verse. If you're in Christ, this is a promise of God that you can hold on to. God has called himself to himself a people who love him. A people who were once enemies, but he now has reconciled them back to him. Right, A people who now love him, and the promise is that God will work all things out for their good. That includes everything that's happening in the world around us right now. Even the worst of things. The fear that sweeps through the world, the violence that's in the streets, the incivility that people will, will show one another, the difficulty that you will face. All of those things, God promises to use those things and work them out for your good and what is the good, then, that he has promised that will come as a result? we we'll look at verse 29. It said, for those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of the Son. He is transforming us to be more and more like Christ. You understand that that is not a question of what that's going to happen. That is God's de- de- his decree that he is doing it. He's going to accomplish it, Right? that we're going to be transformed more and more in the image of Christ in order we might be firstborn among many brothers that we might that, that he might bring many sons to glory is another way to say that in fact that's what we sung this morning how great the pain of searing loss the father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring what many sons to glory for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. That's what we've been talking about. We are justified by faith in Christ. And those whom he justified, he also, look at this word, glorified. This is expressing a future idea that, that as if God has already settled it because he has. It's by his divine decree. You see, it is God's plan for us to, is is more than just saving us from our sin. God's plan is more than just cleaning us up a little bit. He is preparing us for eternal life with him forever. Think about what our statement of faith, how how it puts it. Our statement of faith, which is the... The 2000 Baptist Faith and Message says it like this. Salvation involves the redemption of the whole man and is offered freely to all who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who by their by his own blood obtained eternal redemption for the believer. In the broadest sense, salvation includes regeneration, which is the new birth, Right? being born again, justification where we've been declared righteous by God through faith in Christ, sanctification where the Holy Spirit comes and works in us, conforming us in the image of Christ, and then it says glorification, which our statement of faith further states. Glorification is the culmination of salvation and is the blessed and abiding state of the redeemed. The hope of our salvation culminates in us being glorified in the presence of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, the London Baptist Confession of Faith, I think, gives a little bit more light to this and says, the bodies of those who have died return to the dust and undergo destruction, but their souls never die nor sleep because they have an immortal character and immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, those who were in Christ, are then made perfect. You hear that? Are then made perfect in holiness and are received into paradise. They, there they are with Christ and behold the face of God in light and glory. And they wait for the full redemption of their bodies. And then it says, by the Spirit, the bodies of the just will be raised to honor and will be made like Christ's own glorious body. That is the destiny of those who are in Christ. You see, it's always been God's plan to live among His people. And His people would be perfected in every way. That they would be subject no longer to the influence of sin or the effects of sin. In fact, that's what we were created for. We go all the way back to Genesis and we see the picture of this. Mankind was created for an intimate, up-close, personal relationship with God. They were created to be in His very presence, not... Distant. We were created not to have anything in the way. And we were made in his image to be a reflection of him. We were made, all of us, to reflect the glory of God. And that glory was tarnished by the sin of Adam. But he made us so that that glory would not be diminished or distorted by sin. The glory of God is what we hope in. It is, it is to, to permanently live in the life-giving presence in our perfected, resurrected bodies where there is no more tears and no more pain or sorrow or cancer or fear or hatred or incivility or pandemics or corruption right or presidential elections or wars or any of these other things. You see, what we're longing for, the the peace that we long for in our spirit is telling us we are waiting not for the election results to come. We're not waiting for the vaccine to be made available. We're not waiting for the economy to get back on track. We are all waiting, every one of us, awaiting the glory of God. Our longing to be loved and to be really known and understood Our longing for unity, our longing for justice, our longing for, for true joy is an internal longing that points us forward to the hope that we're waiting for, the glory of God. Just as your hunger reveals that you have a longing for food and that your thirst reveals that you have a longing for water and that the loneliness in your heart reveals that you have a longing for relationships, all the longings we have in us, in this world, reveal to us that we are longing to be permanently with God, absent from any influence or effect of sin. We are longing for the time when God will consummate his redemptive work and finally he will set all things right. And then our hope will be realized. And the thing that we need to understand is this. All the world, whether they realize or not, longs for the same thing. Even though they refuse God, even even though they don't want Him, everyone still wants peace. Everyone still wants to be truly loved. Everybody wants to be truly accepted. Everybody wants the wrongs to be made right. Even talk to your atheist friends, they'll tell you they want justice. They want good things to happen. But the problem is the world has staked its hope on humanity's ability to figure these things out, not realizing yet that it's impossible. There's only one who can make all things right. There's only one who can satisfy our hope. And so ultimately the hope of the world is going to fail them. But not just those. Those, but not those who are in Christ. Those who in Christ have a hope that never fails. Our hope never will fail us because our hope isn't us. Our hope is God himself and he has promised, he has promised to those who trust in him that they will never be put to shame. The hope that we have in the glory of God and his finished work of the salvation through glorification is more certain and more real than the universe itself. It is the immutable promise of God. God would sooner cease to be God than we lose our hope. And that's the hope that we set our hearts on. That is the hope that sustains us. That is the hope that allows us to live victorious lives in the world around us, no matter what's coming our way. In fact, Paul tells us, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that our suffering produces endurance and our endurance produces character and character produces hope and that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now there's way too much to unpack here this morning, but suffice to say that, there's certain, that, that our hope is certain because the love of God has been poured into us and is continually poured into our hearts and because the Holy Spirit has been given to us And because that we can rejoice even in the worst possible circumstances knowing that even our suffering will only reinforce the hope that we have in Christ. We Christians can continue to live in joy and be the light of the world in the darkest possible circumstances because we know our hope is to come. Because, Because we know that no matter what happens to us and no matter what the world does to us, Even if it tortures us and takes our lives. It cannot change the hope that we have. We know that beyond a shadow of a doubt that our hope in Christ and the hope of the glory of God are absolutely, without question, a certain reality. Well, how do we know that it's a certain reality? Because God himself made it a reality. That is how we know. Paul says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one's will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we can be confident in our hope because even when we were unworthy sinners, when we were in rebellion to God, even when we were spiritually dead in our sins and trespasses, Christ, the Lamb of God, had already died for us as a demonstration of God's love for us. So I want you to think about this. God chose to love you even though you were unlovable. God chose to love you even though that you were unlovable. There are some who will say that God chose me, right? Or that that Christ dying for me shows me how valuable to God I was because he loved me. God's love for you has nothing to do with your intrinsic value, by the way. God's love for you shows the depth of his grace for you, and it shows the horrific nature of your sin because it required the death of Christ on the cross to save a wretch like you. But that's exactly what God did, is he saved you by his own grace. He he paid it all and did it all because of our hope. He he, he paid it all and did it all, and because of that, our hope is 100% secure. It is by his hand And the results of that then, it says, For since we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also receive, rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. This is the hope that we have right here. This is the hope that we celebrate in Christmas. That Christ Jesus came into the world to bridge the gap between you and God. Christ Jesus came into the world to bridge the gap between you and God. God became a man to do for us the things that we couldn't do for ourselves. And he became the sacrificed and also the high priest. And he makes atonement for our sin so that we can once again live in the glorious presence of God without fear or shame. Where we were once God's enemies, we have been reconciled back to God as his family. If there's a truth that makes my heart rejoice, is that one. Because I know what it's like to forgive somebody and tolerate them, right? I know what it's like to go, okay, I forgive you, and then just don't talk to me, right? This is, we have been reconciled. We have been made whole together, right? It's coming a time that we're going to be reunited to God, not as enemies or people who bear a, a, a truce in their hands. We are, we are reconciled to God as his family, as his children, that is the hope of christmas but no matter what happens in the world around us no matter what the world does and does to us we can always look heavenward knowing that we stand firm on the grace of god That we have peace with god we've been reconciled to god and there's coming a moment and a time that we're going to stand and meet him face to face and from that point forever into eternity we will live without the effects of sin in His glorious life-giving presence forever with all of those who have gone before us who are in Christ. That, my brothers and sisters, is the hope that we're holding on to. The hope of Christmas isn't just the fact that a baby was born, is that God incarnate came in here, into the world, to make that a reality. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.